Hello and welcome to Servant's Heart Chapel. I am Pastor Daryl, and I hope today's episode is a special blessing to you. Aren't you glad this is not just some fantasy? This is not some pretend magic in which we participate, not fables in which we read about and learn from, but this is a reality in our time, in our lives, that Jesus Christ became saved sinners, and he forgives us and helps us and sanctifies us and, and, and leads us along in life and provides strength to us. And, and helps us, gives us rest when we need it, gives us sustenance when we need it. Praise the Lord for that. Gives us wisdom when we need it. In fact, the Bible says the Lord is happy to give us wisdom when we ask for it. As we get towards the end of Romans, we're, we're coming, we're, we're not close to it, yes, but we can see the finish line, the distance. Uh, Paul had, had been spending a lot of time, right, making a case for, you know, for, for God, setting things straight on, on what's really going on in relation to our relationship with him and how sin uh, has impacted that. In Romans 12 last week, I, I from all that, it, well, let me back up a little bit. Um, all the way to Romans 11, we, we, we start with the fact that we are lost and hopeless and, and we cannot save ourselves. But then God had a plan that involved his son Jesus Christ, who willingly gave himself for us. This wonderful reality that we don't we can't earn our way into forgiveness and salvation, but it's freely given to us. All we have to do is believe and receive. This wonderful reality. And and so Paul last week. Uh, begins in, in Romans 12 with, so what does that mean for uh, kind of us? Kind of answer the question, this wonderful truth of the gospel, how are we to respond to it? And he begins by talking about our duty to God, and that's to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. And then from there, beginning with, uh, ch- uh, chapter 13, I think, uh, yeah, chapter 13, chapter 13, and then partway through chapter 13 to through the rest of Romans, uh, Paul touches on a couple other duties that we have. So first with uh, chapter 12, duty to God, and then we're getting ready to get into duty to our government. Paul talks, he addresses this. And then after that, for the rest of the book is basically, for the most part, duty to others, duty to one another as Christians, duty to mankind in general. What is expected of us? And, and so we 
start into that. A Christian's duties to the state. Now what's interesting about this is I think it's important to remember that Paul is writing to the Christians in Rome. The, the, the place, uh, the center of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire that was far from friends of Christ. They, they, they considered uh, Christianity to be a cult. They considered them to be atheists. There were some rumors about them being cannibals. Uh, there was lots of things going on. I'm sure other rumors too. I uh, the, the, the no friend of Christ at all. This this government was very unfriendly, and I think we can empathize with that situation now. I wish it, I wish it weren't so, but that's what we're seeing. And so from here, we can answer the question: How should God's people relate to ungodly governments? How should we respond? To governments who hate the truth, hate God. Well, the short answer is, and we're going to go into more detail later on, but the short answer is we should be good citizens, but never allow ourselves to be coerced to disobey God. Let's, so let's go into a little more detail here, beginning with verse 1 in chapter 13. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. That word submit is, is interesting. It uh, specifically means to show respect and notice that it's not conditional. So we show respect to our governing authorities even when we disagree with them. We're respectful. We don't mock our government. Which there's plenty of on social media. And even some of our radio and podcast personalities tend to mock There was a dialogue between Bill Maher and Ben Shapiro a little while ago. And Ben Shapiro had on his desk the, the leftist tears mug. Make the leftist cry. And Bill said we really shouldn't be engaging in that type of mockery. He didn't use his words exactly. I'm paraphrasing. But we need to come one another, you know, with respect and, and honesty and try to work things out and, and, and do what different parties used to do for a long time. And Ben dismissed him. 
I know Ben is 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 Jewish, so he's he's not a Christian. And I don't know what Bill Maher is. But I thought it was interesting. Is he an atheist? Okay. That wouldn't surprise me, but I'm not sure. Okay. So, but of the two, Bill Maher's a liberal, Ben Shapiro's a conservative. Bill Maher actually had the more Christ-like philosophy in regarding to this. Instead of mocking our leaders, we need to pray for them. I hope you're praying for them. Praying for Biden. Praying that he gets saved. Praying for Nancy Pelosi. Praying that she gets saved. I want to see him saved. We're going to submit to governing authority. And it says the word since. So there's an explanation there. There's no authority except from God. All authorities that exist are instituted by God. Did you know that? Even the evil dictators. So then, verse 2, the one who resists the authority as opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. Resist is to reject. And the word oppose, those who oppose it, is to set against, to work, to bring down. That's what it's talking about. We're not talking about disagreeing with their policies. We're talking about revolution and bringing down a government. That's not what Christians do. And we call the, well, what about the, the American Revolution? They didn't bring down the English government. They still respected King George. I know not everybody did. There were always those, just like if it was social media, Right there would be uh, on on the Facebook during the American Revolution. There would have been jokes about King George, but the leaders respected King George. I know Benjamin Franklin did. They were hoping to find a resolution to the problem they had, the abuse they were receiving, the people who were being killed indiscriminately by British troops. That's right. So when we're talking about revolution, we're talking about actually bringing down the government. Killing the leaders, disposing of them, and, and bringing somebody else. That's what we're talking about, opposing. And to do so is to bring God's judgment on yourself. In verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the one in authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval. Do what's good and you'll have its approval. It amazes me, some of the people I've worked with over the years, they have constant run-ins with the police where the police know them by first name, easily. 
because they can't seem to just follow the basic rules of life. They refuse to obey the law. They, they either don't have a license, never bother getting one, or driving a car, or their license is expired, their registration's expired. I've seen that, drinking and driving, doing drugs. They don't pay their ticket fines. They just ignore that. And then they run into trouble with the law. They steal if they get an opportunity to do so. They act aggressively toward others when they don't get their way and they end up having the cops called on them. They just can't seem to stay out of trouble. Some very, from my perspective, these are very basic things in life that are not hard to take care of. But they just can't seem to do it. Verse 4, for it is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Do you know the police are God's servants? I appreciate our police officers who, who uh, every day put themselves at, at risk on a daily basis, especially right now, I really appreciate our police officers. They don't get paid enough for this kind of headache. Who needs that? The abuse they've received, the disrespect, when all they're trying to do is maintain public safety and, and defend the law that, that we have agreed should be in place. They are God's servants. We need to honor our police officers and show them respect. And Christians should not be engaging and anything that's disparaging or hurtful towards our police forces. Verse 5, Therefore you must submit, not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. So there's two reasons why we follow the law. So we don't get in trouble, but also because that's what God wants. But too good reason to, to do what? Well, verse 6 kind of gives us some ideas here. And for this reason, you, you pay taxes. Also not conditional. I don't agree with how we're using our tax money. Some of it's immoral. I don't like that. Some of our money is being used to fund abortion clinics. Some of it's plain, just plain wasteful, useless research projects that are just funding some, uh, some pet program that hasn't done anybody any good. But I still pay my taxes. 
Thus reason you pay taxes since the authorities are God's servants, right? Did you know that the IRS is God's servants? And then he says, the last clause in verse 6, continually attending to these tasks. Notice the word continually. He wanted to make it very clear that there's no exceptions. We're not to try to find some, some way to get out of it. Verse 7, pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe toes, tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. So we owe uh, respect and honor to those in authority. One of the reasons why the, the MAGA movement concerns me. I certainly agree with some of their principles. I don't like how they're portraying it. I think it's unchristlike. This hostility. Disrespect. We're to uh, do what we're supposed to do until if and when we may be called to decide whether we obey man's law or God's law. In that case, if that ever happens, we're always to obey God's law, obey God rather than man. In the book, Live Not By Lies, we're we're told that we can only survive uh, this push that has, has begun in the U.S. and has happened in other countries, this push to reject God in the Bible. We can only survive it with a total commitment to Christ. There may even come a time where we will need to I build an underground church and quietly gather to worship the Lord together. And you may say, well, that'll never happen in the U.S. Might I remind you that at one time, uh, Pyongyang, the city of Pyongyang, had so many churches that it was called the Jerusalem of the East. And once... Uh, communist ideology took over there within 10 years. They were all gone. No sign. And the Christian church has, ever since then, has been driven deep underground. What we're seeing now is what's called a soft totalitarianism. Whether it's to coerce by uh, threatening uh, lo someone losing their job or their business. Or uh, using entertainment to, uh, and, and school curriculum to brainwash. They've been doing that 
uh, using three different methods. One is desensitize. Where you see it over and over and over again, and it, and it becomes, you get used to it. It doesn't bother you anymore. You don't even think about it. And then to that, they add what's called jamming, where they, they limit or remove any truth on social media or any other media factor, media form. So they desensitize and they jam those who uh, cancel those who, who are telling the truth. And finally, conversion, which is encouraged by this philosophy that in the U.S., uh, the, the, the central, um, the core theme in uh, critical theory is that we have two groups, the oppressors and the oppressed. It also happens to be the core of Marxism. And so no one wants to be an oppressor, labeled an oppressor, right? Who wants that? So you, you, you encourage people to accept various ideologies uh, and behavior practices so they could be classified in the oppressed category. And that's why the, the LGBT uh, acronym has been adding letters over the years, and now it just has a plus sign. I guess it was getting too long. So they could be classified in the oppressed category. So they, could, so they, they wouldn't be attacked or canceled or uh, try to be coerced to, to, uh, to believe. They, they just accept whatever uh, the group was saying. This is what we're seeing right now, this push to reject God and the Bible. But we don't live the lie. We quietly and, and I, um, honorably, lovingly, respectfully live out our lives according to God's word. Whatever consequences come. So for our duty to the state, we're, we're to uh, obey the law, pay what we owe, be good citizens. And then we get into um, our duty to others in general. And Paul starts with our primary duty, love. He said in verse 8, Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Notice it's never paid off. We're always, we always owe one another love. 
Verse 9, the, the commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, which is to yearn to possess uh, something or someone or a person has. And any other commandment are summed up by this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. If, if we if we if you don't know if you're about to do something you know, whether it's right or wrong one easy way to tell is how will it affect others will it draw other people to Christ or away from them Because if you act lovingly for them and try to act in their best interest, you're going to be in line with the commandments. Verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is a fulfillment of the law. So we have do no harm to other people. That is what love is. Now... One thing I think is important to bring up, because this has been in common discussion uh, in, uh, in, 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 our, in our various circles, uh, there are those who would say that words are violence. They also say silence is violence too. Basically anything that you do that they disagree with is violence. Words are violence. If you tell me I'm doing something wrong, that could trigger me. That could be harmful to me. And that's what they have a law against right now in Canada where you basically cannot tell anybody who is gay about Jesus and the Bible and, and talk about how uh, living a homosexual lifestyle is wrong. You can't do it. Why? Because they consider those words to be violent, a violent action against another person. It's harmful to them. But we cannot allow others to hold our words hostage. Withholding truth is not love. Encouraging others to believe a lie is not love. We see someone that's harming themselves. Let's say we have a friend who's, who's drinking several bottles of alcohol a day. I mean, just downing it every single day. He's killing himself, right? And, and, and he wakes up and he drinks all day long and... and and his life is falling apart. And what is loving for a friend? A loving friend would go and say, Hey man, you got to knock this off. Whatever it takes, we'll help you. There were some say that might be, uh, that would be in other areas, even though they might agree that that's a loving thing to do for that. In other areas of life where people are harming themselves or hurting themselves, they're, they're losing hope and life and joy, and they end up killing themselves. My 
taken for somebody, a friend to step in and say, hey, you're going the wrong path. This is only going to hurt you. It's only going to harm you. There's a better way. That's love. So love is our primary duty. We do it. We we love others. And then Paul encourages us to put on Christ. Verse 11. Besides this, since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep, because now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. So many are asleep. They don't care about the condition of their hearts. They don't think about what they should or shouldn't do. They don't see the danger they are in. They don't hear the song of the Holy Spirit calling them to holiness. They don't hear it. They're blind and deaf. They're clueless. They're, they're asleep. But it's time to wake up because the, the night is nearly over. In verse 12, the night is nearly over. The day is is near so let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light all these deeds we did we involved ourselves in all this sin that we involved ourselves in in the pre our previous life before christ let us discard those and put on the armor of light you see christianity is life-changing Someone gets truly saved, they no longer lie. They tell the truth. They no longer gossip. They love others. They no longer take. They give. And anyone who says they, they are Christian and is still living in sin with no change in their life, they're not actually a Christian. Verse 13, let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy. Walking with decency is an interesting uh, Greek word, decency. Euskemon. Bearing oneself becomingly in speech or behavior. You're bearing, bearing yourself becomingly in speech or behavior. That's what this is talking about. Not in carousing, which is partying. In drunkenness, not in sexual impurity or promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy. Verse 14, but instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Notice, he's encouraging us to put on Christ and make no provision 
Those are two actions that is our responsibility. There is something that we do. We are participatory in the Christian walk. God does his part, we do our part, and so we put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Putting on the uniform of Christ. There's nothing like putting on a military uniform for the first time. They don't give them to you right at first. They make you suffer for a while. Make sure that you're actually going to last before they let you put the uniform on. First got the basic training. They called us rainbows, right? Because we're all wearing civilian clothes. And, and we go through after a while and then we finally get our uniforms and we get to wear them. And then a little while longer, we actually get to wear the dress clothes, which look really nice. We put on the uniform of Christ. What and I got me thinking, you know, what are the what did a military uniform do for me? Well, it allowed me to represent the United States Air Force. Whenever I was about town walking around, I was a representative of the Air Force. What happens when guys in uniform get in trouble, right? They're automatically connected with their military organization, aren't they? And some of that blame kind of goes along with, to the military organization. Putting on the uniform uh, implied that I would be obedient to the authority given me in the service. In fact, I took an oath that I would obey uh, lawful commands of the officers put over me. So I put on the uniform and I agreed to be obedient to the authority. It also implied that putting on the uniform, I would be, I would support the mission of the military organization. And putting on Christ, we represent Christ to this world. We wear it. People know it. They go, something's different about you. I don't know what it is. But they're curious. You don't act like other people. But on uh, the uniform of Christ, we, we uh, imply that we are going to obey God's word. We're going to follow the leading of the Spirit. We're going to be good soldiers for Christ. We put on the uniform of Christ. We are going to support the work of Christ. We give our tithe. We give our time. And whatever else God expects of us to sacrifice for him and his kingdom. That's what all is entailed with putting on Christ. Now, in order to do so, there's an either or. You can't put on Christ and make provision for the flesh. One has to give way. So we put on Christ and then we make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Notice it says its desires, not your desires. There are the aspect of our life that has its bent to sin. It's always going to be there. We're always going to be tempted 
to have the wrong attitude, to do something wrong, whatever it may be, that's always going to be there. We fight it. We ask God for help, we, but we make no provision. That takes an action on our part, though. We may have this bent towards sin that we can deal with until we die. But there's something we can do about it. We can stop making provision to be tempted. I was with a man in South Korea, I, and, and there, I, if you're married and not wearing your wedding ring, there's only one reason. You want to fool around. And there are lots of fooling around going on. And there are a lot of places just off the base you could go and, and meet with girls. And one of the guys asked me why I never hung out with the guys in one of those off-base places. And I said, if it looks like a bear trap, it's probably a bear trap. Why would I do that? And, and he seemed to consent at first, but after a few weeks, he, he uh, saw me. He said, hey, Underwood, I got caught in a bear trap. Ha, 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 ha. His marriage didn't last. So we, we, we stop tempting ourselves. We stop going to places that tempt us. We stop hanging out with people that tempt us. When you're first saved, you, you sometimes you got to do some calling, right? Because people want to want to try to entice you back into that old life. Oh, you can have one more drink. One more smoke. That's not good. Come on. Stop maybe certain activities, maybe watching certain shows or movies or listening to certain music, whatever is making provision for the flesh. Ask yourself, what's making provision for the flesh in my life to, to gratify its desires? And make that list and then start taking action to eliminate those opportunities. You don't need the headaches. Life is already challenging enough. Why make it harder on ourselves? So in order, maybe in order to have a little bit freer Christian life, maybe you don't go to certain stores. Maybe you don't listen to certain music. Or read certain books, whatever it may be. It's worth it. So that's the beginning here. We're talking about Paul and his duties, the duties that he, he encourages us, right? Duties to the state, duties to one another, beginning with love being our primary duty and then putting on Christ and making no provision for the flesh. We'll get into more of this next week with the law of liberty and the, the law of love and uh, the two laws uh, of the Christian life. Look forward to covering that with you next week. Let us stand. Well, that's all for today. I hope it was a blessing to you. I do have one more thing to add. Uh, I have recently published a book. 
entitled Stop Poisoning Yourself, Finding Joy in All Circumstances. Few of us realize the impact our, our thoughts have on our daily lives, how it impacts our emotions, our relationships, including our relationship with God. Uh, in this book, I, I go through, it's a very short, easy to read book, I go through what the Bible says about it, how and what we can do uh, to eliminate poisonous thoughts in our lives. So to, if you're interested, go check it out on Ken, uh, Amazon Kindle's website. You'll find it there. Just search for Stop Poisoning Yourself by Daryl Underwood. Enjoy your week. Have a wonderful day.